We're going to uh, just turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, and uh, the title of today's message is The Finger of God. And so if you turn to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to read from that, and you know, if you've been tracking through uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5, uh, if you've been tracking through this, the studies in the connect groups and uh, reading through the, the stories in Daniel, you'll be familiar with this one. Just going to read it through. And uh, it's entitled The Writing on the Wall um, for obvious reasons, but I chose to name today's message The Finger of God, and you, you know, you'll, you'll see why. Let's read, I'm in the New uh, International Version, uh, chap- Daniel chapter 5 verse 1 says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the golden, uh, the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, (coughs) excuse me, of iron, wood, and of stone. And verse 5 says, suddenly the fingers of a hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought in and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Do not be alarmed. Do not look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and understand uh, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. 
If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations of men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds you in his hands, holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written Mini, mini, tickle, parson. And this is what the words mean. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tickle, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Amen. And uh, just an incredible passage. Um, imagine, we, we can only try and imagine what it must have been like to be there. Uh, and uh, if you read uh, the commentaries, it's likely that um, Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, but he's referred in the Bible as his son. And now Belshazzar is in the seat of power, and he's only a young man. His name Belshazzar means Bel protect the king, Bel being the Aramaic of the god Baal, the national god of the Babylonians. And you find that in Isaiah 61, which was written a couple of hundred years before any of this happened, by the way. And uh, he's, uh, Isaiah says, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. And one of the things that's so striking about this passage is Belshazzar's total disregard and irreverence for God. And perhaps the worst of all his sins 
is identified by Daniel towards the end of the passage. And Daniel says, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Perhaps the greatest of Belshazzar's sins was pride. And pride is one of those things that sneaks in, isn't it? The moment we start to think that we're humble, then maybe that's the moment that pride is creeping in and saying, oh, I'm a really humble person. Yeah? And that's when we lose it. As soon as you become aware that you're humble, you're starting to lose your humility. Uh, I've got a new clicker and I'm not entirely au <laughs> fait with this one either yet. Um, so the greatest of his sins, uh, we're thinking, was pride. And what Daniel is saying is that what happened in your family line, you should have taken that into account and you should have known what was going to happen. This is a picture, uh, an artist's impression of what they thought Nebuchadnezzar might have looked like. You know, perhaps with dreadlocks in his hair, his nails and his fingers and his feet grown beyond what they would normally be, looking like claws. And this is what we read in Daniel chapter 4, that he was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, this is, listen to this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar had got himself puffed up with pride, and God came and humbled him. But Nebuchadnezzar was restored. He came to his senses when he began to look up and acknowledge the Most High God once again. And we see this time and time again. We can see it in our own lives those moments where we become irrational, have you ever had that? Where we take our eyes off of God and we start to think, where did that come from? Maybe something that we think or something that we say or something that we do. And then have you ever noticed how as human beings, we can begin to act like animals? Have you noticed that? We see that all the time in our world. And what brings us back, what brings us back to our senses, what brings us back to a place of reason is a recognition that God is who He says He is. There's another thing that we can learn from this, and I think it's a, a kind of a problem throughout generations, and perhaps you would say it's worse today than it is yesterday. I don't know that that's the case, but it's this whole thing about generational disconnectedness. There's a disconnect between the generation, the younger generation now and the older generation uh, which has gone before us. And there's a danger that we can become disconnected uh, with our past, with our culture, with our history. And there's a, a Russian saying which uh, I heard uh, Ray Mears mention many, many years ago, um, and it's this. It's going to come up on the screen. Um, dwell in the past and you lose an eye. Forget the past and you lose both eyes. <laughs> Was that you, Daniel? Daniel, behave. <laughs> dwell in the past and you lose an eye. And I, I kind of think, 
Yeah, if you're always looking behind you, then you're kind of like, you're blind to the future. And then when I heard that second bit, but if you forget the past, you'll lose both your eyes. And there's something valuable about looking at our history, our culture, and our past. And I think we in our country today are in danger of losing what makes us who we are. You know, listen to this story about this lady in Pakistan. Um, and Mary was telling me this, that's, it was on the TV during the week. And people who are not Christians were saying, surely this is a Christian country, and surely this lady should have asylum in this country. Surely we're a Christian country. But the problem is that we're in danger of forgetting our Christian heritage and leaving it behind. It's not cool. It's not trendy. It's not the popular thing. And to be able to speak up for what you believe then becomes a difficult thing. I think we need to honor the past. And I think young people, we need to learn what it means to honor those who've gone before us. Last year, uh, we had our 40th anniversary as a church. And both the previous pastors from this church were on the platform. That was intentional. It was intentional because it's important to honor the past. It's important to honor our roots and how this church came to be in. And it was an intentional statement just to say that very thing, that we honor those who serve and those who lead. And for all of us, we need to think about our past. Is your past filled with successes or is it a mixture of failures and successes? I look at my past and I think, okay, there have been times when I've got it right and there have been times when I've got it wrong. In our families, as we look at our past as families, there have been times when we got it right and times when we didn't. Um, where were we talking about family trees? We were talking about family trees recently. I think it was in the food bank on Friday afternoon. And how you maybe not want to go into your past because you might find that your ancestors were cattle rustlers or, or worse, you know. And there are things which are in our past as a nation that are wrong. There are things which are in the church's past which are wrong. And we get criticized for that. But essentially, I think we need to learn from our past, and we need to learn from the successes, but also from the failures of the past. And I think it's very easy to talk about other people's failures and mistakes, less easy to talk about our own. And sometimes we don't even see our own failures and mistakes, because there's an area of our lives that we're blind to. And sometimes we need other people to point that out to us. Therefore, we need to be accountable to other people in the church. But God brings light, He brings revelation, and He lights up inside of us that which is good and that which is bad. You know, if you've read through the story of Daniel, you know that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign was depicted by the head of gold on the statue. That was all about to come to an end. Belshazzar reveling with his nobles, his wives, his concubines, and he was about to find out that life was much shorter than he thought it was going to be, and he would not carry his father's empire forward. The head of gold was about to become the breastplate of silver, and Daniel 5.30 says this, that very night when these things happened, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. That very night, the Medes and the Persians invaded and attacked Babylon. 
and Belshazzar was king was killed, sorry. The empire was toppled. Everything that they were proud of, everything that gave them strength, all the things that they had achieved and done was toppled at an instant because of pride. And we need to learn from this. I think as young people, and there's young people in the, the church today, we need to learn, you need to learn all that your parents stand for and have fought for and have struggled for, and that that doesn't automatically become yours. What your parents struggled for on your behalf doesn't automatically become yours. We probably, if you're, if you're a parent, you'll know that our instinct is to protect our kids, isn't it? Our instinct is to, to sort of keep them safe. But don't you know that there comes a point in time where they need to step out into their own world and into their own future and learn through the struggles and learn through the pain and learn through the disappointments. And as, we, as they do that, they, they begin to develop character within them. You don't develop character without pain and without struggles. Last week, we thought about the three C's, character, conviction, and courage. That character is formed in the difficulties and so, young people, you need to learn through wrestling with things and through sometimes the struggles that you'll face, and that in that, God will cause you to grow. And the other thing that we need to understand as a Christian nation is that our salvation is not transmitted to us through our Christian parents. Just because mum and dad were Christians and believed in God and served in the church and did all these things doesn't mean to say that that automatically gets transferred to us. Salvation is found in one person alone, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not born a Christian. And sometimes we think that in our nation today, but because we're born in this nation that we are automatically a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that becoming a Christian is a decision that we make. It's about coming to that place where we acknowledge that actually God is right, where our pride gets dealt with and we become humble in our heart before God and we say, actually, I've messed this up and you're the one that's right. And we need to make that decision and we need to pray that prayer and we need to allow God access into our lives and there's more difficulties that Belshazzar faces. I think one of the things that we see in this passage is his defiance. He was guilty of defying God. Listen to what Daniel 5.23 says. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. What had been held as sacred in the temple in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar had taken away. But it's interesting, if you read Daniel chapter 1 verse 2, going all the way back to the beginning, it says, And the Lord del delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. At least Nebuchadnezzar had some kind of respect that these were holy things and he put them into the treasure house of his God, 
whereas Belshazzar took them out of the treasure house and used them in an unholy, in an unacceptable way. You know, there's another part, I think it's in 1 Samuel, where, um, where the, the, Ark, the Ark of the Covenant is carried off, and it's put into the temple of a foreign god called Dagon, and it says that the people come in the next again morning, and this, this statue of Dagon had fallen over, and they're like, oh, that can't be right, we'll get it back up, and they prop Dagon back up again, and they come in the, the next morning, and Dagon is flattening his face again. And it says that this time his hands and his head had come off and they were sitting at the threshold of the temple. Even, even that story tells us that God, there's something about these articles that is holy, that is precious, and that God thinks we need to take these things seriously. Belshazzar at least put them in the treasure house of his God. And I kind of think there's a lesson for us to learn in this. Never to defy God by taking what is for Him and using it on our pleasure. Never allowing our positions of leadership to be for self-gratification or our own agenda. A message that the church and every leader in every church needs to hear. Leaders in churches are not there for themselves. They're there to lead and to take what is holy and what is God's and use it for His glory. You know, the next thing that I see is, is idolatry. Belshazzar, it says here, You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of iron, of wood, of stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. Let us never take the things which man has made and make them the object of our worship. Whatever that might be, whether it's an inanimate object or a person, the stuff doesn't really matter. The people always matter. But let's never make these things an object of worship. Our buildings, gifted people, leaders, people that we admire, rock stars, pop stars, movie stars, all people that we can begin to worship. You ever notice that when you really are a fan of somebody, you actually start to dress like that person, and you start to try and talk like that person? Have you never noticed that? Um, where we become, we try to become like our idols. Um, and talking of idols, for those who are Cliff Richard fans, don't you think he looks absolutely fantastic for 78? I saw him on the TV and I thought, man, you look good. I hope I look as good as that when I'm 78. But I'm quite sure that he doesn't want people to idolize him. I'm quite sure if he had a one-on-one -on -one with us, he would say, actually, you need to honor the God that I serve, not dishonor God, which is our fourth point here, not to dishonor God. And this is what it says in verse 23, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. He had missed it. The God that Daniel's talking about is saying, I hold your life in my hands. I decide when it's time to put in the full stop. And Belshazzar missed it. And what happens next becomes a defining moment in history. 
And this painting demonstrates a little bit. It's a painting by Rembrandt. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. What was his reaction? One of fear. I'll tell you something, I don't want to mess with God. He was so afraid that it says that the color drained from his face. It's a physical thing that happens to us when we're in a position where we're shocked or or afraid. We call it the fight or flight mode, where the blood drains from the extremities, such as our face. They actually are able to measure this by uh, kind of thermal imaging uh, cameras, where where when you're scared, you know, your, your face actually cools down, your nose goes cold. Have you ever noticed that? You ever noticed that when you're scared, your nose goes cold? I'm not talking about the frosty morning, by the way. They actually, they actually measured this uh, with a thermal imaging camera. His whole body began to react to what he'd seen. And God's judgment comes upon this man. It's the point where God says, enough is enough. This kingdom is just about to end. It's the point where God said to Belshazzar, you've just taken that too far. And these words appear on the wall. And the first one is this mini, which means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. And we read in Daniel chapter 5, verse 30, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And we can all say with absolute confidence that our days are numbered. Every single one of us, there's a a starting point and a finishing point for each and every one of us. The Bible says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Number your days. We can go back. I can go back if I could do the maths in my head. 51 times 365 plus a few days this week. That's how many days I've been on the planet. And many, many years ago, when I was six years old, I first made that decision to invite Jesus into my heart. I'm glad I did. And then when I was older, reaffirmed that commitment to Jesus. Recognized that that was the moment, that was the time, that was the time of that day that I had to make a decision to follow Jesus. Our days are numbered. The second word is tekel. Funny names, aren't they? Which means weighed. And it goes on to say, Daniel gave him the interpretation. You've been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Listen to what uh, Psalm 62 verse 9 says. Common people are worthless as a puff of wind. Oh, that's not very nice, is it? But then it goes on to say, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales, together they are lighter than a breath of air. Incredible. And as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, two times nothing is nothing. Who are we? What are we? 
Are we filled with our own self-importance? Are our hearts filled with pride? Time is marching on. I need to carry on. Parson uh, means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Any legacy that Belshazzar thought he was going to pass on to the next generation was gone. An incredible judgment and an incredible demonstration of the sovereignty of God. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but He lifts the humble. And Psalm 113 says, which would have been a really familiar psalm to Jewish people in verses 7 and 8, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, in her prayer and her song of worship, says this, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. We started off thinking about Belshazzar's sin, which was pride. And it's something that can creep into our souls, and it can creep in unawares, but we need to guard our hearts. The Bible tells us that our heart is the very source of our life. It is the wellspring. It's the place where our life comes from, our spiritual life as well. And Daniel was called to serve in this nation. Daniel served under three different rulers, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. In this, Daniel was called to be faithful. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Daniel? Can you imagine what it must have been like for this lady when she was in death row in Pakistan, waiting on her sentence, and perhaps crying out in prayer, how long, oh God, how long? Imagine Daniel and all this time that he was held in captivity. How long? How long will it be? And yet, in the middle of all that, he remains faithful to God. And I came across a saying just last week, and it really stuck in my head, that God may not meet you in your faith, but He will always meet you in your faithfulness. And what I took from that is there are times when with all of our faith, we pray for something and God doesn't give us that miracle. It's almost like God doesn't come to meet us in that place. And we ask our questions and we say, why did that not happen? But it went on to say, the person went on to say, but God will always meet you in your faithfulness. Always. And I have been able to testify to this through the thick and the thin, that God never leaves me never forsakes us. And God calls us to this great adventure, this great adventure of following Him. You know, maybe the band can come back up just as we're finishing because we're running out of time rapidly. God calls us to this adventure of following Him, following Him with humility in our hearts, following Him recognizing that He is sovereign and that He has our lives in His hand. You know, Denzel Washington, he said, ease is, greater, is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Think about that for a second. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. If everything's going well for us, what are we growing in? What is God doing in us? 
maybe, maybe not so much. And as I was listening to John Lennox preaching on the subject of Daniel, he said this, God does not help us in theoretical situations. He helps us in real situations. And I'm sure we've all experienced that. God does not help us in theoretical situations. He helps us in real situations. And he said this, I have had the privilege of briefly meeting, uh, sorry, he says he talked uh, about a man who had been in the Gulag, which is a Russian uh, forced labor camp. And he obviously was a smaller man because he looked up at him and he said, you couldn't face it, could you? To which John humbly replied, no, no, I couldn't. And then the man with a grin said, neither could I. And the man went on to say that when I was in the situation, God did something. Let's not shy away from the situations that God might bring us into. Let's learn to hang on to God in the situations. What has God called you to do? What has God called you to be? And will you remain faithful to the call regardless of the cost? And maybe you've suffered in a difficult church experience in the past and there is still a residue of this in your life. And we talked about that last week. For those who are not in church, we talked about coming through the fire without smelling of smoke. And I think God wants you to respond to Him today, to respond to that, because He is calling you afresh. And I really felt that this was something that God wanted to say today. Whatever has gone on in the past, whatever has caused damage to you as a person, that He wants to come and just release you from that today. And maybe we could just bow our heads and uh, we just want to give time to respond to that as we bring our service to a close. Maybe you're in that place where there's been damage done to you in the past. And specifically, I'm saying in church life, something that's been said, something that's been done, and it still has an effect on your life. I believe that God wants you to respond to Him today and to allow Him to bring healing into your life. I know what this is like from personal experience and having to deal with thoughts, feelings, and emotions. But the Bible says that if the Son has set you free, then you're free indeed. And I would really like everybody just to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed just tell our privacy for people to respond today. And if you're in that position, I want to pray for you today. And so I just give you the opportunity, just as we bring this service to a close, to respond to that by raising your hand. I'll pray for you. I just want to encourage you today that God has his hand on you. So if there's anybody who wants to respond to that this morning, Father, you see every hand which has been raised there. And Father, we ask for every individual. Father, for a divine encounter with your grace. And Father, I pray that it would be like a river that washes over every person. Father, a river that brings cleansing, 
Father, a river that brings life, a river which brings healing. And Father, I pray that it would just flow over every individual. Father, the, the words which have been spoken or the actions which have been done in the past, Lord, we pray that these precious folks who have responded would find healing in Jesus. Father, we pray that it would be like oil on wounds. Father, just bringing healing and bringing wholeness. And Father, we pray that you cause every single individual who's responded today to move into a new place. Father, not to live in the past, but to take a step forward into the future that you have for them. Father, that they might walk freely and lightly. Father, not burdened by the words of the past, attitudes of the past, actions of the past, but Father, to walk in complete freedom from this moment onwards. And so, Father, we just pray by your Spirit that you would come and that you would meet every single person at their point of need. And Father, we just pray that you would demonstrate your power in their lives today. And there's just a second thing that I wanted to say today, and maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. I did that when I was six years old. I reconfirmed that when I was uh, a, an older teenager. But if you've never made that decision today, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And I felt the message today was perhaps applicable to young people as well, maybe specifically to young people. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, then I invite you just to pop your hand up and pop it back down again. We'll pray for you today. So if that's you today, I invite you to do that. We're going to say a prayer uh, together that will help us to really affirm that decision. Let's pray this together. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is able to save me. I thank you that he died on the cross for me. I thank you that he was willing to pay the cost. I thank you that he is able to set me free from the guilt of my past and from the weight of all my sin. And I ask that you come into my heart today. And I give my life to serve you today. Help me to live a life that brings glory to you. Through your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, then come and speak to me at the end. I just want to pray with you and uh, really help you to move on in your journey with God. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that we can learn from the lessons of the past, 
that we don't need to be stuck in uh, the, the wheel and make the same mistakes over and over again. But Father, your desire is to take us out of the cycle and Father, to put us into a pathway that takes us closer to you. Father, a journey that takes us closer into your presence. Father, that we know that there will be a day when we will stand before you. And Father, we will be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to get out of our old ways of thinking, our old habits, the circumstances which have been part of our past. Father, to break free of them and to move forward into the future which you, which you have for us. And Lord, we just pray that all of this would be for your glory. Father, just as we sing this final song, Lord, we pray uh, that you just help us to focus our eyes on Jesus uh, just before we go for tea and coffee, Lord, to really honor you in our praise and in our worship. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.